Some of the greatest coaches are known for their ability to motivate their players and their teams. Perhaps that's most true in football. And perhaps it's especially true during a pregame or halftime speech when a team is down at halftime and facing adversity. Many of you may have joined with me being a Georgia Bulldog fan and watched the Georgia Bulldogs play the Ohio State Buckeyes in the college football playoff semifinal. You all knew I was going there. Come on. <laughs> Ohio State played an incredible, incredible game. My biggest worry going into the game was that Ohio State would play a version of backyard football, that their quarterback would be able to get out of the pocket, be able to run around and scramble and avoid being tackled, and that their receivers would get away from the defenders just enough to be able to get open and catch a ball. I knew that this was going to be the toughest opponent they faced in the entire season. At halftime, the Bulldogs were down 28-24, to 24, and most of all, they appeared to be unable to stop anything the Ohio State offense could throw at them. So at halftime, to recalibrate the team, Coach Kirby Smart and the team looked back at another moment in their season when they'd faced adversity, when they were down, the only other time in the season that they were down at halftime. They remembered the importance of composure and to not let a deficit rattle them or let what had gone wrong or seemingly gone wrong dictate what could go right from that point forward. Twice in the game... The Georgia Bulldogs rallied from 14-point deficits to win and go on to win another national title. One of the occasions that they came back was the ever-important fourth quarter when Georgia outscored the Buckeyes 18-3 to end up winning the game. I'm personally convinced that much of that victory was tied to the motivation in that locker room. When the team faced adversity and the season was on the line, they were able to look back and find hope and confidence for what the future could be. They were able to focus. They had a don't-quit attitude. They bound together and determined they were going to go out and fight for their brothers. Now, if you study the biblical timeline and all the descriptions of the time period that we're living in today we're probably at least in the halftime of life, perhaps even in the fourth quarter of the world as we know it. Consider this moment this morning, your locker room halftime pep rally speech. Are you ready? It, it seems like Jesus' followers and the Bible and the overall Christian message and way of life are facing quite a bit of adversity, growing adversity right now, especially in the American church more than ever. Critics are eager to write us off as outdated, not able to keep up or adapt, or choosing to not be connected with an ever-changing culture. The Bible is considered by some as just a book among many other books without relevance to today's life. Many people will say of the Bible, it was written in a different time. The true gospel is considered by many to be just one of life's roads to an ultimate destination that is ambiguously referenced as some form of the afterlife. 
And even if all efforts aren't targeted attacks in our world against Christianity, there are clear indications that following Jesus is not the only way of life for many people or the way leading their lives. Our present age is filled with selfishness, injustice, hatred, and evil. In the last week, many people have spent their time talking about a performance that happened at a Grammy Awards show. Let me say to you, number one, I don't watch the show. I don't have any reason to watch the show. There's nothing about that that's going to entertain me. Secondly, I'm not sure why people would be so surprised at the perverse and evil that's going on even in those performances. First of all, secular music throughout history, if you're not very selective, has often carried a perverse and evil tone that promotes sinful behavior. You rewind country music, you get your wife back, your dog back, and you're sober again. It's all that way. I'm not sure why people are so surprised at the performances that are happening, maybe except for the unsettling reality that darkness is no longer hidden in the dark. But we didn't get here overnight. It just might be more obvious right now than it's been before. What concerns me the most is when Jesus followers spend their time, whether it's verbally or on social media, talking about all of these types of things that are happening at best and are numb to these types of behaviors at worst. Rather than just talking about things, the believers in this world should be active in spreading Jesus and the gospel and not spending all of our time just trying to combat in the sense of a Grammy Awards show. Awareness to what happened, what's happening in our world and awareness to how people are so lost is so much more important right now than for us to grow numb and desensitized to the world around us. That it can be happening right in front of our faces every day and it doesn't phase us. With all that's happening right now, maybe there are some believers who are awakening to the reality of this sinful, evil world that we're living in. A world that's affected by sin. While some are motivated by awareness and all that's happening in our world, some Jesus followers seem to be wanting to hunker down, bunker down, and isolate from culture. Some Jesus followers seem to be fighting a defeated mindset, like somehow we're now unfavored. We're grieved, don't get me wrong. Uh, I don't have to watch the Grammys to realize I'm grieved by the condition of our sinful world. We're grieved, but we shouldn't be downcast or discouraged, and we're never destroyed. That was a good place for an amen. I would suggest to you today, I told you this is a pep rally locker room speech, so here we go. Now is not the time to give up, to throw in the towel, or to lay down as if somehow we're defeated. Now is the time in the face of adversity to hold fast to the realities of being part of the kingdom of God. Look back with me for a moment. There was a time when it looked bleak for even the one who claimed to be the way of Christianity. Those at the foot of the criminal's cross looked on happy for Jesus to die. Calvary appeared to be a place of defeat. But what appeared to be defeat of Jesus turned out to be the defeat of sin and sin's power over people who would believe in him. 
Colossians chapter 2, give God praise. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, listen to this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Notice this. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now listen, we rightfully think of the work of Jesus as the work of salvation for our personal lives. We should. But don't lose sight of the reality that his victory on the cross and his victory through the resurrection showed us that he had power over darkness and he defeated darkness to give us that salvation. The picture of Colossians chapter 2 is that Jesus made a public spectacle of them. And when you dig in to study that passage of Scripture, you begin to realize it means that this is a military leader coming back to his homeland way after having waged war and parading his captives and those who have been defeated through the streets so that everybody can see who really won. Can you get that picture today? I don't know how you picture it, but... I know that there's an incoming word will all end up this way, but I, I just get this beautiful picture in my head of Jesus walking through the streets of the victorious followers of him carrying the head of Satan. Amen. Victorious. Because of Jesus, the powers of darkness were defeated, their power was broken, and evil and sin do not have to dictate any other life anymore. And if the cross wasn't enough, just when his enemies thought it was all over and they'd whooped him, Jesus rose from the dead to live again, confirming his work on the cross, confirming he was the Son of God, and that the greatest ultimate consequence of sin, death itself, was also defeated. So in the midst of adversity... And in the midst of a world that seems to be going nuts, let me remind you today, our leader, Jesus, is still the undisputed, undefeated champion of the world. Our superstar, our superstar isn't some overpaid athlete who doesn't know how to maximize the limelight moments. Our superstar isn't prone to falling short in the key moments, no matter what he faces, no matter what we face. He always shines. He always comes through. He's always been and he always will be the eternally existent Almighty God. There is no one who ever has and no one who ever will battle our Lord and defeat him. Quite the opposite. Every opposition, the greatest opposition that's ever come against him, he's already defeated them all. And no matter what's happening in our land, no matter what's going on in our land, Jesus isn't rattled and Jesus' victory isn't undone. Jesus is still the conquering king. Can we give him some praise today in this place? Y'all okay if I preach a minute? Because of what's already been done, and because Jesus is victorious, let's keep in focus. We compete 
from a place of guaranteed victory, not from a place of possible defeat. We're not going into this thing called life with question marks of what's going to happen. We're not, we're not going into this thing called life wondering how it's all going to play out because Jesus has already won all of the victory. The victory is ours and we know how it all ends. Now, the devil's playbook is large and he's a shifty, active opponent. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 talks about the schemes of the enemy. And the schemes of the enemy, when you translate that word schemes, it means the well-crafted trickery, the deceit, that the enemy is methodically organized in his plans of evil. Picture a spider web, a web that has many different points and can grow to be really large in size and often unrealized by a spider's prey until it's too late. But in our lives, as Jesus followers, we are wise to the ways of the enemy. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit helping us, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're given awareness and discernment, and we're seeing and recognizing the enemy being under so much of what's going on in the world. So we don't have to fret his schemes. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to shriek back and be concerned that somehow this is going to change who we are in Christ. Because of Jesus, we're not the underdogs. Personally, if we remain in him and live according to his playbook, we're favored in every matchup we face and we're guaranteed to win. And we've been told that the team of God and his followers will stand against every foe. We've already, Scripture says, been made more than conquerors, super winners through Jesus and his victory. We still got to compete in the game of life, but we compete from a place of victory in Jesus. So I would end with this, very simply. Now is the time for Jesus' followers to go on offense. Now's the time for Jesus' followers to go on offense. Now, when I say offense, offense does not mean that we should be aggressive to the point that we communicate hatred, contempt, and lack compassion for the people that we interact with. There are too many people who, in the name of Jesus, have made a bad name for his church. But we shouldn't be playing to lose the game. We should be playing knowing that we've already won. One of the greatest defeats... And actually, one of the greatest defeats that caused me to lose some interest, one of the greatest defeats in football came in the big game in 2017 between the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots. Everybody knows the score was 28-3 in the third quarter. Atlanta had a 28-3 lead with a few minutes left. And while the defense needed to make stops, what actually began to happen was Atlanta seemed to kind of close their playbook. They began to shrink back in their offense rather than continue to be on the offensive. Now, it's not uncommon for teams to do this. They get a big lead and they start running the ball because the more you run the ball, the more the clock ticks. And if it ticks enough, the other team runs out of time. But if you just run the ball, play after play after play after play, the defense begins to clue into the reality that all you're going to do is run the ball and try to run the clock out. 
So they begin to bring more people to that defensive line and basically build a wall that easily stops the run. I'm convinced today that the church is playing with the wrong mindset. Rather than playing on offense, we have grown to a place of trying to defend ourselves and defend Jesus and defend the Bible to the extreme of trying to answer everything the world's got to throw at us. And if not careful, we've also become disengaged in fighting for Jesus' ways anyway. And with the advancement of cancel culture and personal attacks against people, some are lacking the boldness to speak the truth of the gospel and the need for Jesus to other people. The church has been poorly represented by many through anger and actions that lack compassion and care and opportunity for redemption. But the wrong actions shouldn't stop us from doing the right things. It's high time the church should stop sitting back and watching its lost people lead lost people in more lost ways into a lostness for eternity. If you don't like what you're seeing, I would ask you today, what are you doing about it? What's your action? What's your response? So let me give you a few. Now is the time for the Jesus followers to go on offense. Now is the time for us to rise. Some would say that we are in a place in our world that we need miraculous work in order for lives to be changed. But I would tell you today, you don't have a need for a miracle without a crisis. You don't have a need for a miracle without a crisis. And there's no spiritual crisis like the present that qualifies more for the supernatural power of God. I'll remind you one more time. Light shines brightest in the darkest places. We're here right now. We're in this moment. We're in this geographical place. We're part of this local church community all for a reason. This is our time. This is time for Jesus to be exalted. For he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Now is the time. So what do we do? Well, first of all, I want to challenge you today to fix your eyes on Jesus and keep your confidence in him. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that we should do exactly that. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Let me tell you something you may already know. If you focus on the world and the news of what's going on in the world around you, you will be tempted to be discouraged and to lose hope and confidence. You will be, begin to be pushed on by the enemy and the lies of this world. You will begin to, if not careful, lean into doubt. But if you focus on Jesus, you'll be encouraged and you'll be strengthened and you'll be confident in what's ahead, that we win. We're part of the winning team. And you'll realize more and more and more and more that other people need Jesus too. Let me encourage you very simply. Don't lose sight of Jesus and you won't lose heart. Don't lose sight of Jesus and you won't lose heart. As you journey with Jesus, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live according to the right game plan. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Secondly, we need to be a people of prayer. We need to pray. I don't mean to sound old school, old fashioned, or outdated, but I would tell you that we need to be a people of prayer again. That it's easy to get caught up in the busyness of this world. It's easy to get caught up with chasing the things of this world. It's easy to look at the world and think that it's too far gone and to just give up and write it off. 
In James chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says that Elijah in the Old Testament was a human being just as we are, and yet when he prayed no rain would fall, it didn't rain for three and a half years. What's the point of Scripture telling us that? It's to remind us that prayer works because God works. It's a reminder to us that when we feel like we can't make the change happen, when we feel overwhelmed and seeing that there's such a need, I I think about it all the time and it grieves me. How many people, billions with a B, are lost and don't know Jesus and are on their way into eternity separated from God? It begins to feel overwhelming. It begins to feel like a burden that's too big for us to carry. But we're reminded in the power of prayer in Scripture, not because of us, but because prayer is expressing our belief in God and that He will be faithful to do His work. Prayer isn't just preparation so we go out and battle. Prayer is a weapon and part of the battle. So we pray for lost people. We pray for open eyes spiritually, for people to see the truth and know that they need Jesus We pray for God's work to be alive and active. And we pray that 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 work will be received, that people will grow sensitive to the work of God in their lives. Listen to me closely. The greatest reviving works of the Holy Spirit throughout history have come when people become desperate enough to get on their knees and seek God. Go look at the early church. When they experienced the power, what were they doing? They were seeking God. Whether it's Acts 2 or Acts 4, you can go back and read in those moments when they were seeking the Lord and the power came. Right now, there's a a, a work of the Holy Spirit going on on one of the college campuses in America. And it's been documented all over social media. How did it all start? It started with prayer and worship and a people who were seeking God. I, I don't know what it will take. There was a moment in our history as a country when 9-11 took place that people flocked to the local churches and seemed to be more interested in God and seemed to be more interested in truth and what everything meant and how things can change in an instant. And somehow along the way, as we typically can tend to do, we tend to lean away. We tend to drift as humanity. That's our default. It's not our default to follow God. It's our default to drift if we're not intentional to follow Jesus. So through the years, we've become numb. And now we look up and we can't believe that there's a guy dressed as the devil being basically worshipped on a platform in the middle of an award ceremony. I don't know why you're shocked. It's the devil doing exactly what he's been doing. The difference is the church has set back and we haven't been engaged enough to make a difference in our world and now we're reaping the, the consequences of what we haven't done. So it's time we get back to prayer. What will it take for the American church to be desperate enough to cry out to God? To say, God, I can't save my family on my own. God, I can't save my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers on my own. To say, God, there's no way I can break the addictions off of people's lives on my own. What's it going to take for us to get desperate enough to fall on our knees and cry out, God, we need you. We need an outpouring of your spirit. We need you to change lives the way you can and only you can. What will it take for us to come back to that place we need to pray thirdly now is the time to plug into christ-centered community 
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 say, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I've heard a lot of preachers through the years that have used this passage of Scripture to talk mostly about church attendance on a Sunday. And while I believe it's important for you to be here today, while I believe it's important for you to connect with the body of Christ when we come together on this campus, this is more than just about what happens during a service on a Sunday. This is about what happens when we journey through this life together. We motivate one another. We encourage one another. We grow together. We invest together in each other and in other people. The time is now for the church to join hands together and to press on forward together in the work of God. Listen to me. This divided world needs a united church. This divided world needs a united church centered around Jesus and journeying together. It's time for us to plug in together. And lastly, it's time for us to reach we got to do more than go to a local church or have a form of religion. we got to do more than just associate with Jesus followers. We've got to reach our world with the name of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. Don't sit back and wait for everyone else to do it. Don't sit back and watch people roll into eternity unprepared. It's time for we as believers to do whatever it takes to deal with anything that would keep us from pointing people to Jesus. If we're lukewarm in our commitment to God and we're not where we need to be with Him, it's time for that to change. If we have prejudice and bias and presuppositions in our hearts towards certain people, it's time for that to change. If we have fear, wondering what the enemy or all of his demonic powers or people in this world will do to us, it's time for us to deal with that and keep pressing on and reaching people for Jesus Christ. Because if we really believe in who Jesus is and what He's done, and if we really believe what the Bible says about the future and eternity, then it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise and be active again in reaching our world. Stand with me today. Stand with me today all over this room. Stand with me today. We're going to pray this thing out and we're going to pray it out together. And we're going to walk out of this place and live it today. We're not just going to hear it, we're going to do it. Now, there may be some of you here today that you've got needs. We'll help pray with you today. There may be some of you that you want to make a decision to follow Jesus because you're recognizing the reality of eternity. We will pray with you today. But more than anything, I'm talking today to Jesus followers. Jesus followers. If you and I claim to follow Jesus, then let's be about his business. Let's not let the world and what's going on in the world dictate how we feel or how we think or how we live. Let's rise in the power of Jesus and go out and tell others about the life-changing power that he offers. If you've been changed by Jesus, if you've been saved by Jesus, then you know what he can do. And it's time we tell other people the same thing. It's a glorious day to be part of God's family. It's a super Sunday, not because it's a football game, but because Jesus came and died for us and rose again. And now we live in his power to tell others about him. Now, obviously, we're going to pray now, but I also want you to be committed to praying and going forward 
take heart and take hold of what we're saying today. Let's pray together. Let's seek the God who can do incredible things. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the reality of Jesus. We do not take it lightly today that you've already won the victory. And we don't compete from a place of possible defeat. We compete from a place of guaranteed victory. So Lord, help us to go on offense today. Not, a, not in a hateful way, not in an angry way, not in an uncompassionate way, Lord, but help us to go on offense, Lord, to, to, to fix our eyes personally on Jesus and to pray and to plug in together and motivate one another and encourage one another, Lord, and to reach others. Lord, I believe this is our time. I believe we're here for such a time as this. I believe you can use us, Lord, to reach this world. So, Lord, I pray encouragement to fill your people. I pray empowerment to fill your people. I pray we walk out today with heads held high, looking, Lord, at your truth and fixing our eyes on you and knowing, Lord, that you have all power and you have all knowledge and you are our ever-present help in times even of trouble. And you, Lord, will go before us and you will be with us. You promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And you will be our rear guard, Lord. You are faithful. Faithful, Lord. Oh, God, would you empower us, Holy Spirit, more than ever before to do more than just worship in these moments, to do more than just speak in a language of intercession, but, Lord, to speak in a language of courage and boldness to tell others about you as well, to see people saved and lives changed and transformed, things that, that, that may seem in the natural impossible for there to be changed. God, you can do what even seems to be impossible. I pray, God, we not walk as defeated people. But I pray, Lord, we live this life as victorious people. And I pray, God, we walk forward in your power. Now, Father, will you bless and keep this people? And will you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them? May your countenance ever be turned in, direction, in their direction, God, your favor. And grant them your peace. May we walk in your power, in your spirit, in your love, in your grace, in your mercy. Keep us safe and well and whole as we connect today. May we be of encouragement and motivation to one another. May we continue to grow in you and grow in our faithfulness and effectiveness of reaching others. We thank you for it, Lord, today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we're too big in the room to do this literally. But would you stretch your hand out forward, and we're going to go team here. Come on. Come on. It's Super Sunday. We can do this. Are you ready? Are you pumped up? Are you excited? Do you believe Jesus is alive? Go team on three. One, two, three. Go team. God bless you guys. Go have some fun together today.